My name is Ben, and I'm reading from Hosea. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Thank you, Ben. Wow, what a first time you did the reading, and you really picked a wild one there, huh? Rebuke your mother. So if you weren't here last week, you're like, what's going on? All right, we're talking about the book of Hosea. My goodness, we go, what a roller coaster ride. Rebuke your mother, angry, go show her love. So how do we figure that out? Last week, we talked about love. There's two Hebrew words for love, and the one we focused on last week was this word that means irrational love, a paradoxical love which is what we see displayed for us in the book of Hosea. God is giving us this gift. It is a picture, a snapshot of clarity. The gift is clarity on what God's love really looks like because they were confused about it. Maybe some of us are confused about it. I don't know. But this is a really incredible picture of God's love. So real quick recap. Got this guy, Hosea, young preacher. He's been praying about you know, Lord, who's going to be my wife? Who's going to be? He's praying, he's praying, and God one day says, there she is. She's on that street corner right over there. And she's standing on that street corner because she's a prostitute. He says, that's your wife. She's the perfect wife for you. Go and marry. And so Hosea, because of his position as a pastor, as a prophet, socially he was like way up here. Socially she was way down here. And he marries her and he loves her and he provides for her and he gives her a place of position and respect. And what we said last week is, is if you were on that church board, okay, and you were like, ah, should we hire Hosea? Should we do that? If you were on that church board, what would you do? Would you, would you hire Hosea and his young wife, Gomer, to be your pastor and pastor's wife? And they have to make that decision. Well, eventually he must have found some place to minister because his ministry continues on. They have a child. It's wonderful. They have a child together. It's awesome. They're very happy. But then she had an affair. And then she had another affair. And his heart is broken and he's angry. He's very upset. You can understand why. And then God says what Ben just read, rebuke her. So we tap into all that anger. It's not like it doesn't matter, right? And let me pause here for a second to say that God is not giving us a picture of how to run your marriage or how to run your business or how to run your organization. That's not the main point of this picture, just in case we might get confused about this. God is giving us a picture of what his love looks like. What would he do in such a circumstance? Because in actuality, God is Hosea and we are Gomer with the back and forth, faithful and faithful back. So God says... I know you want to rebuke her, and God taps into that. What she's done is wrong. She's broken that covenant, right? And God says, I want you to go and love her again. And that was the last words that Ben read for us just a few moments ago. It's very broken. This picture, think about this, of our relationship with God, the focus here in Hosea is unfaithfulness. So God says, 
to the community, to the nation. Your faithfulness is like the mist in the morning. It's here. God will be faithful. And then by 10 o'clock, it's gone. And I thought, you know what? That is like me. I'm here and then I'm gone. I'm fa- Oh, God, yes. It's kind of like the old story, the two guys out in the middle of the ocean, you know, and they're nobody. They've been shipwrecked or whatever in the middle of the ocean. There's no land in sight anywhere. And finally, they get desperate. They have no water. They have no food. The guy gets down on his knees. He puts his hands up and he just says, God, I promise if you... And the other guy stops him before he says anything else. He says, wait a minute. Don't say another word. I think I see land. Why? What's that all about? Because you don't want to make these promises that you know that you can't fulfill because our faithfulness is like the mist. So God says it's like the mist. You're faithful, you're unfaithful, you're faithful, unfaithful, back and forth. What if your marriage looked like this? Would you be mad? Would you have any right to be mad? What if you were married? Because all through the book of Hosea, it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful story. What if your spouse was always flirting with somebody else? Would you be okay with that? Because that's what's going on in this marriage. See, sometimes we, we look at, you know, our relationship to God. Oh, God, he's, he doesn't, none of this stuff really bothers him. He just says these things about our covenant relationship with him, but he's okay. It doesn't matter. And God's saying, no, it does. It, hurt, it breaks my heart, just like Hosea's heart is broken as his wife Gomer is flirting and then eventually has an affair. What if you were in a marriage like that where your spouse was always flirting with somebody else? I don't know how that goes for you, but it wouldn't go really well for me. And so there's these affairs and all these flirting and there's this adultery stuff that happens and then these decisions that are made without consulting. And how would that work if that was in your relationship? Would you have a right to be upset? And now Hosea comes to this big moment. He loves her. He loves his child that he has with her. He loves her two children. Even after the affairs, he still loves her. And then you know what she does? This is where we left it last week. It's the big cliffhanger. What does she do? What would she do after that? Well, she leaves him. Can you imagine that? He provides, he respects, he loves, he cares for, and she, she, she leaves him. Should he go after her? Should he get her? God says, go and get her. Now, can you imagine his family that was around him? Do you think they were like, oh, yeah, Hosea, great idea. Go, go get her. You should go get her. You see, no, no, they were probably grabbing him by his ankles, yelling at him, go get her. She doesn't, she doesn't deserve you. She deserves exactly what she gets right now. Because what happened, actually, she went back in, we think, it seems to be, because she's in debt. She's gone back into prostitution. She's become a slave again to some pimp. And God says, go get her. And his church is standing up and they're saying, no, you can't, you can't do this. But you know what he does? He goes after her and he brings her back. So this is why we have called this series Relentless Love. Because God's love for us is relentless. We just sang it a few moments ago. Won't stop no matter what. She deserves it. Doesn't matter. I'm still coming. But she deserves it. Doesn't matter. I'm still coming after her. Is your heart broken? Absolutely. Can you imagine being Hosea for a second? Heart is completely broken. So we've been reading this girly book. If you didn't get a copy last week, we have a bunch of more copies out there, right? It's, uh, it's a little embarrassing as a guy walking around this book. I didn't rip the cover off this book. I don't know how many covers we ripped off for guys out there, but I really want to encourage everybody to read it because it gives you just this great window in. It brings to life the book of Hosea. Then in other times, the book of Hosea, I've read it for years. It never really hit home to me until I read the book of Hosea, and then I read this, and I'm like, oh my gosh. We, my group, I'm in a guy's group, 
we're reading this book. We had a very good discussion this past week, and my guys are all loving uh, this book. So if you're a man, don't be uh, confused by the cover. This book is written more towards men, I think, than it is towards women. So it's a story about a guy. His name is Michael, and he's been praying for a long time. He's 26 years old. God, show me who you want me to marry. And one day, he's, he's in California during the gold rush, mid-19th century. He's out in California, and one day, uh, this beautiful young woman's walking down the street who has a bodyguard with her because she's a prostitute, and God says, there she is. That's the one. And he goes, and he pays to have time with her, and he just says, look, I'm not here for that. I'm just here to let you know that uh, God says, you're to be my wife, and I, know, I want you to know that I'm going to love you. And she says, you know how many people have told me they've loved me? You know how many men have said, I love you, I want to marry you? So she doesn't believe him. Well, eventually the story progresses, and uh, she gets beat up very, very badly by the guy who is her bodyguard handler because she's just, she wants to die. Because the life that she's living, she's in a pit. She wants to die, and she gets beat very badly. He hears about it, Michael. He comes and gets her, takes her to his uh, place where he has land outside of the city and cares for her, loves her, nurses her back to health. It took quite some time. She doesn't trust him at all, so she keeps him at a distance. I forgot one part. They got married. So when she was almost ready to die laying there on that bed, he slips his mother's wedding ring on her. And so she's there, and uh, he loves her and cares for her, and she's never known a life like that before. And you know what she did? She left him. She left him, and she went back into uh, prostitution. I don't know how long it took. I couldn't quite figure it out reading through the book, but eventually he finds her. And when he finds her, she's in the middle of some guy just coming in the room and this big, huge fight. But even in all that, he... He takes her out, takes her back home, and they get back to the cabin, and uh, she goes uh, inside, and he says, I need to do some things in the barn, and he was gone for hours. And a real powerful scene in the book, she finally goes looking for him, and he's in the barn, everybody, and he's got his head in his hands, and he's sobbing his eyes out. And here's the thing. Many times we think about, oh, God, God's big, he can just forgive, and whatever, whatever I want, and you know, these are just kind of suggestions here. In the, but the picture that we have of Hosea is actually when we are not faithful to God, when God's not number one, it actually breaks his heart. And so the picture is, is God is there sobbing, sobbing his eyes out. Now, why? Why would she go? She left him because she couldn't trust him. Now, all of us read that story, and we read the story in the Bible book of Hosea, and we're like, Gomer, we want to scream, Gomer, you can trust this young prophet Hosea. Everybody can see it. It makes sense to everybody reading the story. This makes sense to everybody reading the story. You can trust this guy. It makes sense to everybody, but not to them. Why doesn't it make sense to them? Because they've been conditioned to not trust that's the issue. So God's love is amazing. But how are we able to trust God and walk with God, be faithful to God, when we are living in a culture of distrust? Very difficult. So in chapter 1, verse number 2, it says 
that her children, I don't have your notes anywhere. This is just, this is just a listening type message today. And there's no fill in the blanks or nothing. Nothing to keep your attention. God says, chapter 1, verse number 2, children of unfaithfulness. You marry this woman who is a prostitute and you're going to have children of unfaithfulness. In other words, she's going to be unfaithful to you. And he still marries her. Chapter 2, verse number 4. She's going to have children of unfaithfulness. Exact same language. Now, here's, here's what this means, everybody. Think about it. You, you immediately think to yourself that that means that there are going to be products of unfaithfulness and affairs in the relationship. But that's not what it means. It means much, much more than that. Not going to have just a product of two people who are having an affair and have a child. No, no. It's speaking of a system of unfaithfulness. These are children of an unfaithful culture. See, it goes on in chapter 4 to say that the nation is filled with a spirit of prostitution. Like, what a spirit of prostitution? What is that? It simply means this in the book of Hosea, contextually, that unfaithfulness filled the land. So I'm born, so I'm, I, here I am, I'm born, right? And I have a decision. Am I going to be faithful to God and His laws or whatever? Okay, right? But what if I'm born into a situation where I'm surrounded by people, some of them who represent God, and they give me a picture of a God that I cannot trust, right? What if I'm influenced by people that make it really hard for me to trust in God? Does God understand that? And so what God is telling us here. The one thing that will change everything, the one thing where God will put the pieces back together of our lives, there is something that we can do, and that something is trust. So this is an amazing story, but Gomer has to trust, and she can't do it, and we're screaming, oh my gosh, it's so obvious to us. It's not obvious to her because she's been raised in a culture of distrust. It's so obvious from this girl in the book, oh, it's so clear what you need to do. To us. But we haven't lived her life because she's been raised in a culture of distrust. How many of us have been raised in a culture of distrust? All of us, to some degree or another, are living in a culture of distrust. And God is saying, I understand that. It's very difficult. But it's still in your best interest that you trust in me. I understand it. See, sometimes the message that comes to us from maybe other people who are followers of Jesus or the church or however, right? The message comes to us is, what is your problem? Just shut up and trust. Just shut up and trust. And God is saying here, no, that's not my message. My message to you is, yes, you should trust me, but yes, it's very difficult. Very difficult to put our trust in God when we begin pictures of a God who we cannot trust. Have you had family members who have made it difficult for you to trust people and God? Do we have professors throughout college that undermine our trust in God? Have we had friends? Do you think the media does anything to undermine our trust in God from time to time? We are in a culture of distrust and God knows it, but it's still in our best interest. And what seems obvious to you in somebody else's life isn't so obvious to you in your own life when you're going through it because you're battling with trusting God. A spirit of unfaithfulness or a spirit of prostitution has taken over the land. This is what is being said. Trust, everybody, is the one thing that's going to change everything in your life according to the book of Hosea. Can we do it? Because it's one thing to say, I trust God. 
But when you say, I trust God, how did the Ten Commandments start out? God's number one. I put God first. And when I put God first, that means everything falls in place. That means the, the, the commands of God that I follow them. And some of you might say, well, there's a bunch of stuff there. There's a bunch of stuff there in the Bible. I'm not sure about it. So listen, start with the stuff that's really clear to you. Forget all that other stuff. Let's just start with the stuff that's like extraordinarily clear. Do you trust God in that day by day? God says a lot about service and forgiveness and bitterness and money and sexuality, all those things. Can you do that? Can we, can we start there? It's very, very difficult for us to trust when we're born into a culture of distrust. And some of us have had it much worse than others at trusting God. Trust me first, trust me most, basically is what commandment number one says. Trust me first, trust me most. Everything falls into place from there. You think of how much a lack of trust has cost us in time and money, a lot. September 11th. You know, I used to be able to roll up to an airport before September 11th. I remember back in the old days, I've lived here all my life. You go down to National Airport, it's national, it's not Reagan Airport, it's National Airport, and you would just roll right up. You could let your car sit out there all day. I used to just, you know, I'd pick my parents up or whatever, just let the car sit there for an hour, right in front, no problem. I have to go on a flight, I'd show up five minutes before the flight, just walk on. Now, it's a major operation, isn't it? You allow for a lot of time. Why is that? Because there's not trust. And it's cost us billions and billions and billions of dollars and a lot of time. I read about a year ago uh, this book by Phil Jackson, the, the guru of basketball, right, coaching. And he was talking about the Chicago Bulls. This was fascinating to me. And they just couldn't make it into the NBA champ. They just couldn't do it. And he had the key, the one thing that was going to change everything. And you know what he went to Michael Jordan and said? You think when he went to Jordan and says, you know what, I got a new play. I got a new player. He didn't say any of that. You know what he said? He says, here is what is going to take us over the top to win a championship. You ready for it? You've got to learn to trust your teammates. That's it. Okay. Same story. Can we trust God? God will put the pieces back together in our lives, but it's not going to be magical. It's not like, oh, poof, poof. There it is. No. Can we trust God? Am I living my life every day like I trusted God? I read this story a couple weeks ago. Warren Buffett, who's been fairly good at business. <laughs> Warren Buffett was merging with a, one of Walmart's companies called McLean Distribution. It was a $23 billion merger deal, $23 billion. If you're a lawyer, get ready to put your fingers right over your ears. You're not going to want to hear this. He said in his annual report after the merger, $23 billion. He said, we did no due diligence. We had a one-hour, we had, we had a one, two-hour meeting, and we shook hands because I trusted Walmart they would do as they said. We didn't spend time. We didn't spend all kinds of money with accountants and lawyers. I know that's upsetting. We trusted. Think of the time. I think to myself, how much time and money have I lost in my own life because I haven't trusted God. And I've gone out and tried to make it my own way. Very difficult. But God understands that we have been born into a culture of distrust. I read in a report that University of Virginia did a couple months ago on millennials. Right? Millennials. What's the age category of a millennial? Who's a millennial? You'll immediately know. What is it? Oh, come on. Come on. 20s? That's it? I'm sorry, I've, 
20 to 37? Okay, whatever. I will not do this next service. This didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> you know what the biggest age category represented here at Grace Community Church? 25 to 34. Uh, the UVA report says this about millennials. They're very, very, very spiritual. Very spiritual. Most of them pray every single day. So a bunch of you are millennials because we have more millennials, millennials here than any other age category. Very, very spiritual. They don't like church. They don't like church at all. You know why? There was a number of reasons, but the thing that led, led off the list was is the scandal, the sex abuse scandal. They've been raised with that. Wouldn't that make it really difficult to trust? If you've been raised in a culture where the media talked to you at a young age that not only was there sex abuse, but there was an entire system put in place to cover it up. Some of you watched the Oscars last week, right? Some of you did, right? Who won the the best picture? Spotlight. And what was it about? What a sad movie. It wasn't just that there was dozens and dozens of priests molesting children. It was that the entire system was put in place to protect them and to cover the whole thing up. Now that's, that's, it's terrible, but that's even worse. So what if you've been raised in a culture and you heard that? Do you think it would be difficult for you to trust? One of the most moving nights. Let's show the picture. One of the most, everybody says this is like the, one of the most moving portions of the entire Oscars. Lady Gaga sang a song, Till It Happens to You, all about sexual abuse. And the people that are surrounding her in that white piano are survivors of sexual abuse. I want to ask you, do you think it's hard for those people to trust? I bet it's really, really hard. I bet, I bet it's like Gomer and the girl in the book, Angel. I bet it's, I bet it's really difficult. One in, one in five girls will be sexually abused, according to the statistics. One in 20 boys. 23% of women on college campuses will be sexually abused. Do you think it would be difficult for them to trust? And that, 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 that's just them, and that's terrible enough. But then we all hear about it. We all hear about it. We hear about the stuff that goes on, and it's an entire culture. So all I'm trying to say to you is this. Trust is the thing that will change everything, but God is not saying to us in the book of Hosea, just shut up and trust, and it'll be okay. God is not saying that. God is saying it's in our best interest to place our trust firmly in Him, but it is very difficult to do when I know this. I know this, but it's still, it's still the best thing that you could do. It's to put your trust in God. But I know it is a very, very difficult thing to do. We want to scream at Gomer. We want to scream at Angel in the book and say, just trust, because it's going to be so much better. You know, one of the things that really got me uh, reading Hosea and also reading this book is the courage that it took for Hosea, both in the Bible and Michael in the book, after everything... I'm, it, that brought me to my knees after everything just to keep relentlessly going back and loving because the feeling is she deserves it 
rebuke her, but then God says, go get her and do what? Speak tenderly to her and love her. That is how God is with us. When we make mistakes, and I do, every single day, I express my unfaithfulness to God. We just, after reading this book, we want to be careful. Does God forgive? Yes. Is there mercy and grace? Yes. Does it break God's heart? Yes. And he's sobbing in that barn because his heart is completely broken. One last thing. This actually is on the screen behind me. Hosea 3.2. This is just a wonderful verse, and then we're going to have communion, okay? Look what it says. So she leaves him. She has an affair. He still loves her. He loves all the kids. Okay, does all that. She leaves him. She still can't trust. And now she goes back into prostitution. She's got a pimp who holds her in debt. She's being auctioned off what it appears to be at a slave market. Humiliation galore. Humiliation galore. And he goes. The church is yelling, don't go. The family's yelling, don't go. He goes. It says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. 15 pieces of silver. You know why that's so unusual? Because Jesus Christ, does anybody remember how many pieces of silver that Jesus, you know, we're getting ready, coming up on Easter, right? 30, 30, yeah, okay, it's 30. You guys are good. 30 pieces of silver. What's with the 15 here? You know, in a story in the Old Testament that we actually went through this past fall, Joseph, Joseph also was sold for basically 30 pieces of silver. What's up with the 15 pieces of silver? The best we can understand, nobody's totally sure, but the best we think, speculate, what's going on here? Why the 15 on 30? Because he didn't have 30. He only had 15 pieces of silver. And he's standing there to buy her back after she's completely broken his heart, publicly humiliated him so much. He is brokenhearted. People are yelling at him, telling him, what are you doing? And he goes and says, I got 15 pieces of silver to the person that owns her. And the person says, not enough. So what does he do? He's, I got five bushels of barley back at the house. It's all the food I've got. You can have that too. You can have that grain. It's not enough. I've got a jug of wine back at the house. Body and blood, okay. Maybe some of you are tracking along with that. This is everything I've got, my money, my grain that makes bread, and wine that represents the blood in the Scriptures. This is everything I have. I am not leaving here without her. I will give you everything I have. And so what is the story of Jesus Christ? He says, I'm going to give everything I've got. Because you know what? No matter what. No matter what. I don't care what she's done. I don't care what she's done. No matter what, I'm not leaving here without her. A number of years ago, we were with our kids. And uh, we were at uh, the beach. And we had swam out, you know, the mask on and everything. We were having a good time. And there was a little, little platform in the water that you could climb up on and jump off the platform. And my son had already gotten up. He was very young at the time. He had already got up. And my daughter was still in the water, just starting on it. And I looked down, and I saw a shark. And it was a good-sized shark. 
So I calmly said to my wife, as calm as you could say it, don't panic, there's a shark below us. <laughs> she put her hand on my daughter's little backside and just straight up like a frog. Boom, down. She thrashed back, the last thing you want to do with a shark in the water. Push, knocked me back, went up, got on the platform, got on top of the kids and covered the kids. She had zero concern for me. <laughs> Now I am in the water, five, six, ten feet from the ladder, completely exposed to the shark. I've never been so proud of her in my life. Do you know why? Because we have a clear understanding between the two of us. No matter what, without hesitation and without guilt, we sacrifice our lives in a moment for our kids because no matter what, our kids are safe. And if that means me dying, there's... That is the most honorable thing in the world, no matter what, our kids are safe. We have that clear understanding. The Father and the Son have entered into a covenant with each other that no matter what, their children are safe, you and I are safe, and they will do anything that they have to do, including breaking their body and spilling their blood in order that we are safe. Will it break their heart? Yes, but they will do it without hesitation. That's the book of Hosea. Now, let's have communion. So those of you who are serving communion, I'm going to explain communion in just a moment to everybody, but those of you who are serving communion, please go ahead and, and, and grab the trays and begin to serve. We're going to have a special song during the communion. Let me just set up communion, if I can, just in just a moment, everybody. I know there's a lot of movement going on, but I just want to explain something because uh, if you've been coming to Grace for a while and you weren't here last week, what you don't realize is that uh, TJ is now allowing us to serve right in your seat. So you don't even have to move. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to bring communion to you. We're going to serve it. And what I'm going to ask you to do as you get the bread and the cup, if you'll just hold it. Because I'd like all of us to take it together. And what I'd like you to do in the meantime is I would really like you to reflect on the song that is, that is going to be sung as you hold that grain, that bread, and as you hold the cup. So those you're serving, feel free to go ahead and start serving. For those of us who are going to meditate on this for a moment, I want you to think about this. What this represents, this cup and this bread, represents Jesus Christ and the Father saying, no matter what, no matter what you've done, say, hey, you know what? I shouldn't have been swimming with sharks. Some of us have been swimming with sharks. Some of us have put ourselves in shark-infested waters, no matter what. God is saying, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to protect you. I'm willing to break my body. I'm willing to, sp to spill my blood. I will do anything, no matter what, to get you back. And so here's the thing that we do during communion and what the Bible calls us to do. It calls us to examine ourselves. And here's where I would like you to really think about an examination this morning. Where are you with trusting God? And I just define your own reality. Is it really hard for you to trust in God? For some of us, it's incredibly hard for us to trust in God, incredibly. Let's just name it. Let's just say it. It's very hard to trust in God. But in these next few moments, and the Bible tells us that when we, when we celebrate communion, as we're doing right now, that God's presence, that the presence of Jesus Christ walks among us in a very special way. So as we have this communion here this morning, I want you to think about Where are you with your trust in God? Are you living your life like you trust in God? 
So the song that uh, we're about ready to have sung uh, actually was on American Idol just recently. Kelly Clarkson, who won the first American Idol, came back because they're closing it down, and she sang this song, and boy, everybody was in tears, including all those judges. Just it's called, The song is called Piece by Piece. How about how she's been collected piece by piece, and this is what I want to say just before we sing it. God will restore us piece by piece. There is one doorway to get into that restoration, and that doorway is trust. The message of the song, unless you're willing to trust, the pieces by pieces don't get collected. Uh, This is the grain, the five bushels of grain. And this is the jug of wine that God gave everything to restore our lives piece by piece. Some of us this morning, this is a very critical moment. You know, you want to scream to Gomer and you want to scream to Angel. You want to say, please trust. So you've been hurt enough. You've been hurt enough. There's no reason to hurt anymore. Trust in God. This is a new moment, a new direction. Trust in God. I'm going to pray over this and I just want to ask that you think about as hard as it is, can you put your trust in Jesus Christ? and head in a new direction in your life. Let's pray. Lord, this is a very special moment. You are very present with us in this bread, in this cup. Lord, your presence here. Lord, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup that you gave everything because your love is relentless and that you want to restore many lives here today piece by piece if we can pull ourselves to trust in you to trust in you. Help us to do that with all of our hearts here this morning, God, to proclaim that we will trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us eat and drink together. Let's just take a moment, 15 seconds. So the song says he'll never walk away. Hosea says he'll never walk away. Many of us have had somebody that has walked away from us, left us, disappointed us. God will never walk away from you. You can trust in him. And I want to let you know if you're new here, you want somebody to pray with you. Our prayer team is always against this wall. We'd love to pray with you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the new beginnings that are made today. Thank you for the revelation by your spirit here this morning. We had a view of you in a certain way, and this morning that has, been, that has been destroyed. And all of a sudden, we have seen you and your love in a whole new way. Father, help us to embark on that new path that you have for each one of us in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.